My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voices of Wrestling Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. My name is Taylor, and I am joined this week, midweek, not our usual recording time, but I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Kelly. Kelly, happy middle of the week. Happy middle of the week. Uh, Maybe, depending on when this comes out, happy hump day, everybody. That is right. We uh, are dropping this a little bit late because of some scheduling issues, but we wanted so badly to talk about Tokyo Joshi's Grand Princess, which we will be covering in detail on this episode, as well as many other shows that have happened and will be happening in the world of Joshi. But before we jump into that, we got to do the plugs. Follow us on Twitter at Audio. Earlier this week, we did some tweeting. I tweeted out a preview that I did of Grand Princess along with a number of other illustrious wrestling minds. So check that out. And you can follow Kelly at Kelly, And you can follow me at Tay Mambo on Twitter. Subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. And if that app of choice happens to be Apple Podcasts, we would love a five-star rating and review. It would really help us out. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb Dash audio. Kelly, let's get right into it. I feel it. The energy is different here in feel this it, feel week it. recording. So let's talk about Tokyo Joshi's Grand Princess 23. That happened on March 18th. 
at the Ariake Coliseum in front of 1,513 fans. Kelly, what do you think about this show overall? I liked it. It's it's a weird show in that it is both a very good show that I really enjoyed and also a slight disappointment because there wasn't like a match of the year candidate on it. I can see that I was stronger than you in that I felt that this show um, partially for, well, not reasons out of their control, but I thought that the show was a fairly large disappointment to me. Really? Okay. Um, Yeah. I thought that if you, you know, we previewed the show on the last episode, but if you had sort of asked me, you know, the floor for the, for each match and the ceiling for each match. I think pretty much all the matches except for one, um, which we'll talk about in a bit, were much closer to their floor than their ceiling. I can see that. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of notebook matches in this one. I had a lot of mid, like, three, three and a half star range stuff. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where maybe if there had been one more match that really delivered, mm-hmm. um, I would feel differently. There really wasn't any match, you know, on the last few big shows I've had usually a match in the undercard. Um, a lot of the Rio Mizunami matches that I've really enjoyed that have sort of been like, Oh, surprises on the undercard. And I felt like it, that didn't happen this time. So there was a lot of weight, on the top of the card and some of the top of the card was good. And some of the top of the card was not as good to me. Um, But as I said, and as I've repeated, you know, the stakes are always higher Yep. with Tokyo Joshi. This was their biggest show. And I think one thing we'll talk about, cause it's not really specific to one match, although I noticed it more in other matches than some others i thought it was a fairly poor crowd yeah the crowd was not great i think sort of in hindsight you know hindsight is 2020 it was a big show you know they drew 1500 fans i know that they did sell out multiple sections of the venue but in a venue that seats i believe 10,000 is the full capacity to sort of draw 1500. And the other thing I didn't really like was they left the lights on the whole show. And so I spent a lot of the beginning of the show staring into the crowd. And I know everyone was sort of COVID distanced, but it looked to me like an empty build, like an empty building. It looked very empty. And it was one of those things where it was like, there were times when you couldn't hear the crowd and you're looking at a crowd that just visually looks pretty empty. And it's just one of those things where it's sort of like, you know, this isn't really giving me a lot of energy and excitement about what I'm watching. Yeah. They probably got a little bit too ambitious with the size of the building they ran for this. And I think it would have been even fine if it were, you know, 1500 and they were all sitting next to each other closer Mm because then i think the sound probably would have been better but there were moments when you know two people are wrestling and it's like absolutely silent 
Yeah. And I was sort of like, this is supposed to be the biggest show in this company's history. And I don't really think at any point in this show, I thought, oh my God, this is the biggest show they've ever done. It's so much bigger than, you know, like um, any of their other big shows. Because even those that were in smaller, like Tokyo Dome City Hall, even though those are smaller venues, it's like, yeah, they fit 1,100 people into a 1,200-seat venue or whatever, where you're like, okay, the energy is in the room, people are excited, you can hear them. And so it just felt really different to me. Yeah, it definitely felt like the building swallowed up a lot of the sound. Yeah. But anyway, let's get into the individual matches, starting out with a singles match, one of three. You could say partners explode match here. It was Daisy Monkey exploding Suzume, defeating Arisa Endo in eight minutes and 48 seconds. Kelly, what do you think of this opening match of the evening? I thought this was very good. Uh, especially I thought Endo looked great here. I thought she had a very good performance and that camel clutch she like locked in on Suzume might be one of the best looking one of those I've ever seen. Like she just wrenched back. It looked brutal. I kind of thought she was going to win with that. Uh, but yeah, overall really good match and Suzume's got cool new gear. I want three and a half stars on this one. I like this one as well. This was one of the matches that I previewed in the um, big preview I talked about that I retweeted on Twitter. Um, I was excited for this. It was the opener, so, you know, wasn't going to be anything too crazy. But I think that these are, as I've mentioned for both of them individually before, two of the two of my favorites in the company and two of the people who I think have the most potential. And I think they went out and had a really good match. Wasn't, you know, overwhelming. Wasn't like a go out of your way. You have to see this. But I thought was very good. And as I mentioned in my preview, and I still think, you know, it is the case, I think as these two move up the card, I think they're going to be important players as they move forward. So this may be sort of that beginning of the road match that people come back to and look at as like, oh, look how far they've come. What are they going to, you know, call back to, you know, sometimes wrestlers like to call back to matches if they've had them before. I could see them doing that, but... Yeah, two great wrestlers, a lot of a lot of new gear on this show, um, which we will talk about coming up, as I'm sure people expect from us, Kelly. Oh, yeah. The next match was an eight-person tag team match filled with all the new rookies. It was the team of Himiwari, Mihiro Kiryu, Shino Suzuki, and Wakana Uihara defeating Haru, Kazashiro, Kaya Torabami, Runa Okuba, and Toga in 11 minutes and 23 seconds. Kelly, a lot of new faces to yes. talk about. Some brand new, some relatively new, and even the veterans. Uh, still, pretty, still pretty new here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, out uh, of everyone in this match... I'm putting all my stock into Toga. Yes, I have a very similar note, which is, you know, we had talked about 
Toga debuting on that March 6th show, sort of why is she debuting? And it's, I wrote in my notes, it's clear she debuted first because she's the best one. Yeah. To yeah, me. Yeah, she's now, just like a grumpy shit kicker and I am a fan. <laughs> now, of course, two of these rookies are essentially children. <laughs> babies. They're babies. Yes. Wrestlers. So... You know, it's sort of hard to go out and be like, okay, let's really analyze the, you know, the work here. I thought that they were both, you know, they were first match rookies. They looked very passable. It was not a match, shockingly, considering the way it was, you know, the people in it. It really at no point fell apart in any way. No. Worked very well. It was, you know, they got through it. Everyone, you know, not everything was like, oh my God, what an amazing action I'm seeing. Um, but I thought they did very well to sort of get through it. Everyone got a little moment of action for themselves. So, yeah, I mean, you can't really complain. Um, it's a little bit difficult, you know, in a match with four, you know, four people, five people just debuting to sort of be like, okay, this person's getting featured. So it will be interesting to see moving forward as they get more individual focus, sort of how our thoughts change. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, I I meant to watch it and I totally spaced on it. I need to watch Toga's actual debut match against uh, Miu because that's probably pretty good. Yeah, she's a big hitter, and she had that, um, the great elbow yeah. to Kiryu's face, which I think maybe was one of the first times that, uh, <laughs> in the show, that Shota on commentary went, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, he, which he did a number of times um, throughout the show. I found the English commentary, which was Chris Brooks and Shota, um, very, char- I found it very charming in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of discussion of like mid two thousands era SmackDown talent. Yes, <laughs> Shota loves that stuff apparently. <laughs> With Shota being like, "Oh, this is what Taz says. This is what Taz says." I re- um, re- the the thing that stuck out most to me was when he shouted out the Hell's Gate, which is a move name I have not heard in quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Um, when it sort of first started, I was like, okay, mm, is this going to be, should I just switch to Japanese? And I was like, I'll just keep on the English. And I ended up very much enjoying it. Um, I think Brooks has gotten very good, you know, having worked now with Aki and Drew Parker and now Shota and all the other people that they brought in. I think he's gotten very good at sort of steering the conversation the way he wants it to go like the way it needs Mm -hmm. to go regardless of what the other person sort of is saying yeah because it wasn't always like oh shoda is really helping here it was just sometimes like here's my thought and chris would be like okay this is related because it you know goes you know from here to here and that's a connection to the match and so that was sort of something that stuck out to me that's a sort of separate overall commentary note. Um, but yeah, the memory of Shota's many hell yes 
on commentary. <laughs> um, I will also say about this match, I thought Kaya Toribami looked very good. Now, yeah, she did. You know, in there with a lot of very fresh talent, but I think that she's looked very good. She's sort of added more of these athletic moves, and I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with her because it doesn't seem like she is moving up very fast. I know that there's some out things outside of the ring that she does. Um, so I don't know if the company's just sort of waiting. Um, but I think she's very good and she really surprised me here. You know, I thought she would just go in and sort of guide the rookies through and get them through, but I thought she had a moment for herself to shine. Yeah, no, I think everyone came out looking about as good as they possibly could at this point. Like the the babies are very much babies. They they need a lot of work, I think, but they'll get there. Toga came, really impressed me. I thought Uehara looked great. Uh Shino Suzuki didn't stand out much to me, but like she wasn't bad, so I can't say anything about that. Uh, and then I thought Kiryu and Torabami both did really well to kind of guide the ship and get their own stuff in, too. I wrote my one big note was that no one, none of the rookies blew me away. Probably the closest would have been Toga, you know, and they had moments where they looked very green. But they all, I figured at one point or another, and it may have been a very brief moment, there was some sort of potential there where I was like, oh, that's interesting that they do that or, oh, that looked good. And it's sort of good that they all have that as opposed to someone who you're like, okay, this person is not very good and I don't really have anything to hook onto because also I think that these are going to be um, more, well, maybe not Shino because she's already in the Up Up Girls, but sort of more traditional rookies in the sense as opposed to someone like... um, Yuki Arai, who sort of came in and was like, you're young, but you are more important than someone who's going to sort of sit here and just run matches Yeah, at the bottom of the card. So I The think people care about you. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good that I was like, okay, there's something there to sort of hook into and follow because it's not going to be provided necessarily by the company, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, oh, yes, this is sort of the traditional way that it happens, although it hasn't really, that hasn't been the way Tokyo Joshi has done it in the last year or so, but it's the way that they did it with many, you know, Miyu Watanabe and Suzume and people like that. So, yeah, very interesting. The next match was a six-person tag team match, the trio of Free Wi-Fi, Hikari Noah, and now Kakuta, joined by Ram Kaichou, defeated Palm Harajuku, Raku, and Yuki Aino in 10 minutes and 23 seconds. I do have to say, my first note about this match is also a Shota note. When in the beginning of the match, um, Raku was doing all of her sleep stuff, Shota very quietly whispering on commentary, this is her strategy. Um, <laughs> really made me laugh. Um, this was a match. I thought it was 
a decent match. Um, I liked Yuki's new gear, another uh, new gear moment. And I thought free Wi-Fi's finisher looked pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, solid match. Uh, got some some Raku and Rom lore. I guess their marriage isn't doing well. We'll see how things go from here. But overall, yeah. solid enough match. Yeah, supposedly I saw a picture where Palm made Ram apologize backstage. So I think that's the latest plot point in the saga of or okay. yeah, Raku made Ra- yes, Raku made Ram apologize backstage. That's the latest in the lore um, of this marriage that's now on the rocks. I hope those crazy kids can say. make it work. The next match saw the return of Mi- Ryo Mizunami, who took on Mocha Miyamoto, defeating her in 11 minutes and 46 seconds. I have to say, I was very hopeful. The first couple matches, I'm seeing rookies, seeing lots of new gear with rookies. Suzume bringing out some new gear, you know, Yuki Aeno debuting a brand new look. And I thought, this is the moment. Mocha (laughs) is going to do it. She's going to have new gear. And she came out with the same exact gear she always has. (laughs) And let me tell you, this match proved us right about the gear. Because every time she got knocked over, that skirt went up into her face yep and then the whole match that freaking bow was hanging on her hair and all i wanted to happen because look speaking of the match i actually really enjoyed the match i thought mocha looked good i thought she showed like a really fierce attitude she showed showed really great fire in here yeah good fire that was also in my notes And all I wanted her to do with that bow, you know, it's dangling in her hair. It's like almost in front of her face. I wanted her to take it and rip it out of her hair and throw it on the ground and be like, come at me or something. Like just because that would solve the problem because the bow was like flopping around the whole match, which Mm -hmm. sort of just was distracting. But then I'm like, she is sort of in this attitude of like, I'm ready for a fight. I'm going to fight you. Like, let's go. And it was just the bow. I'm like, just get rid of it. Just like rip it out and throw it (laughs) to the side. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're in agreement that I thought Mocha actually looked good. I don't know that this was the best of the Rio challenge series, whatever you want to call it, but I think it was definitely a good, a very good showing for Mocha. Yeah, I thought it was a good match, but also not as good as I was hoping. Like, I, w- I went three and a half stars. I was hoping for a little bit more out of these two. I thought, I don't want to say Mizunami phoned it in, but, like, I don't, she didn't seem as dynamic as she had in the previous matches. I, it just, there, this was missing something, and I can't really put my finger on what it was. Uh, but I will say, Mizunami absolutely just squashed Mocha with that leg drop at the end. 
Like, she hit her and bounced. Yeah, I think this is sort of what I was expecting. We talked about this last episode, and we'll talk about another thing in a few minutes. That I think you're slightly higher on Mocha in ring than I am. So I sort of saw it as like, oh, she did pretty good. And because you're like, oh, she's better than I sort of where I am. Maybe that's where sort of the disappointment came from where I was sort of like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm sort of surprised. Like, uh, like the battle of expectations. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to see. We don't know exactly how long jury is going to be out. But it would sort of be cool to come back if Mocha sort of could keep that fire from this match and like bring it back with Juria, who sort of already has that energy to her. That sort of very stern, like, hiya, you know, because they are karate people. (laughs) Yes. um, Energy. (laughs) So a a good showing. I mean, one of my... um, I would say at least a, a match in the sort of top half of the show for me in terms of my enjoyment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The next match was our classic big show match, a tag team match, the usual team of Hyper Masao and Shoko Nakajima managing to defeat Andreza Giant Panda and Haruna Neko in 10 minutes and 25 seconds. Kelly... What did you think of the return of Andreza Giant Panda to Tokyo Joshi? Well, first, I really, I got to shout out uh, to Nakajima for using the Mazer Cannon against uh, Andreza as they're making their way to the ring. Uh, I was very impressed by that. Love to see a good Mazer Cannon. Uh, for those that don't know what a Mazer Cannon is, it is... Uh, You'd see it in a lot of Showa-era Godzilla movies, stuff like that, Toho movies. First appeared in 1966's War of the Gargantuas. It's kind of it's just like a fantasy laser gun cannon thing. And to see that used in a wrestling match brought, brought a tear to my eye. And they didn't hurt any monster toys in this one, so that made me happy too. Uh, but yeah, what a stupid, dumb match. I loved it. Just, what... What a stupid fucking match this was. They beat the shit out of that poor panda. Misao ran it over with a bike and then shoved a lightsaber in its ass. This was great. Three and a half stars. Not a li- not a lightsaber. A light... Uh, whatever they were calling it on commentary. That's true, yeah. Chris Brooks desperately tried to get them not sued by Disney. Yeah, that's very true. Um... I really like that. I always find it funny that like Andreza is this giant inflatable thing. And yet when he headbutts people, I am sort of like, Ooh, God. Yes. (laughs) It's so violent. It, it looks like crazy. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what makes it look that way. Maybe the sound or something, but like every time I was like, dang, uh, yeah every time it looks like one of the most brutal shoot headbutts you've ever seen yeah and i was conf- i i was also confused at one point in that i did think i think it was hyper was trying to like put the light 
tube inside of Andresa. She was trying to um, shove it in its ass. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's 100% uh, what was happening. And then, of course, the bike came out, the classic bike. Um, but I wrote a good strategy overall by Masao and Shoko, and it won them the match. Yeah. What do you, what do you know? Um, but yeah, we always say this with these, um, you know, hyper Masao matches. It's like <laughs> very funny. And then there's like not really that much more to say. You're like, I had a good time and it was very funny. Chris Brooks and Shota were clearly having a lot of fun on commentary. Um, with Shota making all his references to Kaiju movies. Um, and I, I also like the opening of the match with Andreza very calmly making his way down to the ring, waving yep. to people as his partner is getting the shit out of her in the yeah. ring. And only care. when they shoot the cannon is he like, wait a minute, now I gotta do something. Yeah. The next match was another tag team match. The returning team, Neo Bishiki Goon, the team of Saki Sama and May Sam Michelle, defeating the odd couple team of Yuki Kamafuku and Billy Starks in 13 minutes and 42 seconds. And boy. Let me tell you, I'm glad we're not on this show talking about how Billy Starks broke her neck trying to dive oh onto Mason. That was scary. <laughs> I was like, good Lord. How? <laughs> like, you want to do a dive to the outside? Okay, you should do it with Saki, <laughs> not yeah. with me. It's like you're twice her size. And you're asking her to catch you going very fast towards the ground. Um, yeah, that that was really scary. I I was surprised she finished the match. Like, I thought she was just going to be out. I think she ended up okay because I think she landed mostly on the back of her neck or like the yeah. top of her back. But in the moment, I was like, oh, God, like. That was very scary looking. <laughs> um, my main note about this was I really enjoyed this, even though I thought it wasn't that good. And I literally wrote it like that in my notes with the question mark. <laughs> um, it was just a thing where it sort of ended and I was like, oh, I had a good time, but I, I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I always like seeing Neo Bashiki Goon. The um, tray bit actually got me this time. Usually, May like <laughs> waves it around and is like, "I'm going to put it on the ground," and you're like, "Okay, someone's going to slip on it." This time, when Billy slipped on it, I hadn't realized May had put it down, and I thought Billy just fell over. Um, <laughs> and then they were like, "Oh, got her with the tray," and I was like, "Oh, the tr of course, the classic tray." Um. So yeah, Kelly, did you enjoy this match? I liked it. I mean, it's always a blessed day when we get to see Neo Bishiki Goon wrestle. Uh, I more than anything, I was surprised to see Kamiyo take the fall. I was yes, not I, expecting yeah. that at all. I had that in my notes. Also, shocked that she would lose instead of Billy. Yeah, like, it made me maybe... wonder if they quick called an audible because they thought that Billy was in rough shape or something after the fall so they were just like uh, change things real fast 
but I, I don't know. Maybe they've maybe they've got big plans for Billy. Who knows? I mean, she will uh, be on that LA show. That's true. Yeah, but, uh, I have in yeah. my notes saying that Saki Sama's exchanges with Camille felt very reminiscent of Camille's exchanges with Saki Akai last year. I think that was like the the lot of boots. So very very similar to those uh the tag match for the uh the titles last year. Uh but yeah. I thought everyone did pretty well and put on a solid match. That's another like three and a half stars to me. It's another like Billy Starks match as someone who hasn't seen a lot of her in America. That I'm like, oh yeah, she is like I think there is something there. Um this sort of continues the tradition of one move where I'm like, because there was that weird (laughs) move during the uh, Yuka title match where I was like, "Uh Oh, and then it sort of wasn't an issue, I guess. Um, But yeah, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, the people who really love her here are like, she's the greatest to ever do it. And it's like, she's very good, but also she's, essentially still a child mm-hmm. like and billy's still isn't... at that age where she can take falls like that and it's okay because she's still pretty much a kid and they're made of gum so she's gonna be fine <laughs> but once she gets older she's gonna have to tone things down a little bit and be a little bit more careful the next match was a singles match the last non-title singles match of the night aja kong returning to tokyo joshi defeating yuki arai in 13 minutes even i thought that this took a long while to get going i thought the last few minutes uh were really strong i liked it uh yuki got close to winning but didn't win instead of it just being like the usual aja kong squash my biggest issue was Yuki Arai's offense to me still looks like paper soft. Yeah. I think like, as the match went on, she started to lay in the axe kicks a little bit more because I think she realized she had to when you're against Aja Kong, but a lot of her stuff still looked real soft. Like even the lockup at the beginning of the match, the difference between this the this match and the next match both started with a lockup as many matches do the difference in how they felt between the two matches was night and day mm-hmm. like yuki arise lockup is like okay i'm gonna sort of lightly put my arms around you and we're doing it you know the strikes are very, and i'm like of all the people who you can get in the ring with and sort of like lay it in i'm like that's Aja. You can do it with Aja Kong. Like, yeah. just hit her really hard um, and she'll be okay. And it just felt like the strikes are just like sort of like very soft. And it just takes away from sort of my enjoyment when I'm like, this doesn't even look like you would knock over anything with no. what you're doing. I think if this match happened a year ago before. Aja Kong took her time off it would have ended up being very bad because Aja Kong carried this match and made Yuki Arai look pretty good and gave her a ton in this match I mean 
she almost lost with the count out. Like that's that's huge to give that up to Arai. So I think if if Kong hadn't been as healthy as she is now, this could have been a very bad match. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, they put the tag titles on Arai with Arai Akai. And I think that that sort of hid some of her faults because she could sort of come in, do a couple things, and then get out. Whereas this feels much more like uh, a little bit exposed Mm -hmm. on, you know, what the skill level is. You know, it's also a question of like, you know, she's in SKE 48. I know SKE 48 is very big. But she's in sort of a featured match here. I haven't seen anything, and I haven't looked into this like in laser focused detail. But there's nothing to me that's like, wow, SKE forty eight member fans are like turning out in droves to see her, and she's been usually pretty featured. Yeah, like it seems the fans are willing to vote for her and like wrestler of the year polls or whatever, but doesn't seem like they're super willing to buy tickets. And maybe they're just like, Oh, I'll just stream it. You know, I don't know. I don't really know anything about the makeup of the fan base of SKE 48. It just seems to me like the whole thing was like, Whoa, she is a star. And I know SKE 48 is a big deal. Um, but it just doesn't seem to translate. And especially now that it's sort of like, you still do sort of look like a rookie. Like I was like, Oh, these strikes that you're giving are sort of like the strikes that Haru and Runa were giving in the opening rookie match. Yeah. So I think this goes to my theory from that. I posited was either last time or whatever, some recent episode. I think Mocha is better in ring than Yuki Arai. I was going to bring that up because I think now, and maybe because I had it on my mind after we talked about it recently and with this match, but I agree. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I liked the Aja Kong-Yuki Arai match more. But I think Mocha's performance was far better than Arai's performance was. Arai was wholly carried by Aja Kong. The next match was our first of three title matches, the International Princess title match, Rika Tatsumi becoming the first ever Tokyo Joshi Grand Slam champion, having won every title in Tokyo Joshi, defeating the champion Miyu Watanabe in 18 minutes and 31 seconds. I thought that this was by far the match of the night for me. Um, I loved it. Another excellent performance, an unbelievable performance by Miyu Watanabe. I, well, Kelly, I'll let you go first and give your thoughts. I have a major question about this match. Okay. I, I thought this was very good. At the same time, I was very sad to see Miyu lose because I've been really enjoying her title run and just, it was a great it was a great match. I thought Rika wrestled a really nasty match and she had to use pretty much every trick in her book to pull out the win here. 
And I, I liked that she didn't handily beat Miu. It was kind of just like, look, she used her experience edge and eventually pulled it out. Uh, of course, this we got to talk about the dragon sleeper swing. That was one of the craziest spots I've ever seen. And I kind of was when that happened, I was kind of hoping that was the finish. Because holy hell, if you just have like some, the, someone pass out and the ref calls for the bell while they're doing that, that would be awesome. That's an incredible finish. I hope they kind of keep that in their back pocket for maybe a rematch between these two down the road. Uh, yeah, it, it it was a great match. I don't think it was my favorite of the show. It was incredibly close. Uh, I went four and a quarter on this one. I had the same note. I literally wrote in my notes, Miu is unbelievable, and then wrote the deadlift into the dragon sleeper swing, which looked crazy. Insane. And she had a couple moments when she just like lifted Rika up and did something with her where I was like, holy moly. The thing to me was, and you sort of already talked about it, was in sort of in the middle or closer to the end, I thought, oh my God, Miu feels like a like a superstar yeah to me yeah and i was like she looks so good she's wrestling really well she has really good facial expressions when she's selling you can like really get behind her and then she lost and it was sort of like all those thoughts that i had where i was like she's a huge star like it's happening it's happening and then i was like um it yeah, was like it was the the allure blue. of the Grand Slam was too much for him. And I don't know what happens. You know, maybe I don't know. Maybe Shit, maybe she takes the belt off of Mizuki. Yeah, maybe that's a thing. So I don't know. I'm not vehemently opposed to this. I think it's sort of a cool story of Rika winning the Grand Slam to sort of give Rika that accomplishment when maybe she isn't floating around the princess of princess title scene it just sort of feels felt in the moment like oh my god a young star like this is so good and then they sort of lose and you don't know what's coming next it very well may be that they totally nail it and she goes and she wins the princess of princess title and she becomes a huge gigantic star and i'm sitting here saying well they were totally right to do that it's equally as possible they spend the next three years, you know, giving her Princess of Princess title matches that she loses over and over again, like we saw with Mizuki. Yeah. You know, where in five years we think, geez, she hasn't really done as much as we hoped. Um, and we'll talk more about sort of that stuff later. But I don't want this to take away from the match. I also went four and a quarter stars. Um I just thought it was great. I just think Miyu is, you know, one of those people where I think some people are going to have sort of the barrier to entry with Miyu, which is sort of, you know, she wears all pink gear and she comes out and she does the um, L-O-V-E hand signs, which to me are great. I love those things, but I know that there's people out there who look at that and go, Oh, you know, this is not manly enough for my wrestling and it needs to be cool because I'm like the minute she gets in the ring, she's so good that I know that people would be like, Whoa, 
like show people that deadlift dragon sleeper swing spot. That's crazy. Yeah. And she, when, when she does that swing, like I love Claudio Castagnoli. I think he's great. He's one of my favorites. But when Miyu is doing that swing, she whips those people around. The speed she gets is incredible. Like, it is a swing and it is a believable move where you're like, yes, this seems very dangerous. <laughs> um, in a way that someone like Claudio, like, the giant swing is fun, but it never really feels like, oh, shit. This is, like, a big move. And the way that Miyu gets into hers... Um, are just great. So yeah, my fingers are crossed that this is a next step up instead of a step back for me. Yeah. For me. Yeah. No, that's it. Cause yeah, it was one of those, the, it, the match ended and you're just like, Oh shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort but of it a, bummer such a good I, match. And I like Rika. It's not like I'm like, yeah. Oh, like Rika, she stinks. Oh God. Yeah. Like she's going to have great matches. It's just, it's the first thing that feels sort of like, well, I guess she lost in the finals, but it's the first thing that sort of feels like, uh Oh, like this is not up, up, up. Mm -hmm. Like we're not moving in the same direction, but maybe we are. Don't know. We will, we will see. Yep. We'll find out in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off 
a $400 slab pack, $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out a passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door The next match, our semi-main of the evening, was for the Princess Tag Team titles. The duo of 1-2-1-million, Maki Ido and Miyu Yamashita, defeating the Wasteland War Party of Heidi Howitzer and Max the Impaler in 13 minutes and 42 seconds. Our second title change of the evening. This a match that, to me... I thought parts of it were good. I thought Miyu looked good, but it never seemed to get to that next gear for me. 
There were moments when it just seemed a bit out of sorts with everyone. I think part of that is two very tiny wrestlers um, wrestling with two very big wrestlers and having to have it be sort of instead of the usual of like the big wrestlers just do all their big shit. It's like, no, these two teams have to be even. And, you know, it just didn't quite click. Like Miyu hit the great head kick and then went for the skull kick and just couldn't get, couldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. This match didn't work super well for me. I thought it was fine. Nothing really memorable about it to me. Uh, I'm curious to see if the kind of the post match of uh, Max just shoving down Heidi, if that means that Heidi's just on her way out and Max is going to go solo and that's why they dropped the belts or who knows. Well, I know they're on the L.A. show. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting idea that I had not thought of before you started speaking about this. What about, well, I don't know who else they would bring in. I was just thinking, everything about me is focused on Palm Harajuku beating Max. Yep. Um, so what if they did like Heidi and Palm <laughs> versus Max and someone else? Haruna Neko. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, no, uh, Yuki Aino, her friend. Yeah. yeah. Um, there we go. I don't know. I feel like Heidi and Max would be sort of like Heidi versus Max would be sort of an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Like, I don't know if people in Japan would be interested in it, but it's sort of interesting to bring in two, you know, outside wrestlers and have them fight each other. And it would be sort of two big wrestlers. I don't know if they would do that either, but, um, yeah, it could be them. I didn't even consider that it was maybe a write-off for Heidi. Um, but I think maybe we'll Because get... it was more that they made sure to show it that kind of told me, like, oh, this seems like there's something to this. It didn't seem like just kind of an off-the-cuff thing they, that uh, Max did. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seemed like the focus because then Chris, I think, brought it up like two or three times and I was like, okay, clearly they wanted us to. I mean, I don't know if Chris is getting notes from anyone, but it seemed like a thing that was being emphasized. I just took it sort of as, oh, this is going to be another step in whatever story this is as opposed to like, oh, Heidi's leaving. I guess because I was thinking of L.A., they'll both be on L.A. So I was like, okay, they've got at least one more show. Yeah. So you would think, like, maybe there, I don't remember who they're facing um, in L.A. I don't have it in front of me, but maybe there, they, that's how you give them a loss because they start fighting in the middle of the match or something. Yeah, no, I think that would be a good way to do it. The main event of the show was the big princess of princess title match the two members of the magical sugar rabbits facing off mizuki defeating yuka sakazaki to finally win the princess of princess title in 21 minutes and two seconds our third consecutive title change on the evening and kelly i will let you go first okay 
Uh, I like this match quite a bit. I think Yuka is on just an incredible hot streak right now and might be one of the very best in the world at the moment. So in that regard, I was kind of sad to see her lose because I'm really enjoying this reign. But you know what? Mizuki finally gets the win. That's cool. I'm happy for her. I really like the weird vibe that Terminator Yuka matches have. Because this one was like, anytime she takes control, and I know we talked about the crowd being shitty earlier, but anytime she takes control, the crowd just goes silent, waiting for whatever disgusting strike that Yuka is going to hit Mizuki with next. And then it's immediately followed by, oh! (laughs) So it's just got like, such a strange vibe to ma- these matches. Like people seem to feel uncomfortable, and I really like that. <laughs> I think that's very cool. Uh, I I'm hoping that Yuka uh, picks up the Ring of Honor title that from Athena. I think that would be very cool, and maybe she could bring some of this Terminator Yuka energy over to Ring of Honor. Uh, but yeah, like Mizuki fought her heart out and did everything she could to survive and just barely won uh the ending of the match i thought fell a little flat but other than that i really loved this i went four and a half stars um all right (laughs) (laughs) so i have a lot of thoughts on this match okay the first one is there was sort of the idea of yuka coming out it's like there's partner their partners fighting each other um and Yuka sort of having the attitude of like, I don't really want to fight you, but, you know, eventually being like, I guess if we're going to fight, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you. Um, which I I like in principle. The only problem to me was it isn't the first time they've fought. Like, what is the reticence here from Yuka that like... It almost feels to me like this should have been the attitude in the first match, you know, two years ago, where she comes in and she's like, I don't really want to fight you, but if we're going to fight, I'm just going to destroy you. Then she beats Mizuki and then they come back and they have a more sort of like, okay, we're just going to wrestle. You know, we've done this before. It was just sort of like the behavior of someone who's never wrestled. Like if Yuka had never wrestled Mizuki and was like, I don't really want to do this. It's like, it's happened before. It's not like this is a new thing. I think it's because Yuka is like at the height of her powers now <laughs> and is like stronger than she's ever been. Cause like that's also... it's clearly this is a part of it. Like she's she's been going out there and just murdering people. So like I think that's what the the ideal is, or what the idea is that she's just going out there and fighting as absolutely hard as she can. And I think she just wasn't sure if she could fight that way with Mizuki. And then until she discovered, yes, I can beat the shit out of this girl. Yeah. I guess I didn't think about it that way. That's sort of more understandable to me. It just sort of, to me, I mean, the other thing to me was that this sort of attitude and also her being like, can I do this? Uh, I don't know. Makes it sort of seem like, um, it's like, yeah, well, Mizuki won, but she sort of won against someone who was pulling her punches a little bit, even if it wasn't the whole I, match. She was, was like, pulling be... her punches initially, but by 
a little ways into the match, she was not pulling her punches anymore. But I guess the whole thing is like the whole match is the whole match. Like if she goes to the outside and drops her on that, you know, on the outside, which she ended up not doing like, yeah, that's earlier in the match, but sort of in kayfabe, that would have probably been a big difference maker in the whole match. They should. I think that was a missed opportunity to go back and then have her do it. Because I was like, oh, she didn't do it. And even though then later she was like, okay, I'm going to do these strikes. It was like, yeah, well, you didn't do that before. Yeah, and no, think... she should have definitely taken her out of the ring later in the match and dumped her on the floor to kind of pay that off. Um, I mean, I think of any match that was hurt by the crowd, this match was hurt worse by the crowd. I mean, multiple moments when I was like, no one is making a sound. Like, this is like a huge match. Mizuki, who has been trying to win this title forever, two partners facing off against each other. One is Yuka Sakazaki, who is like beloved by many people. And it felt like a crowd that was like watching two people they had never seen before. And so... Yeah, no, it was was a weird vibe. Like, it was definitely strange and just the whole thing to me i think the end really hurt it for me where i was like oh like the they counted to three and i was sort of like oh uh mizuki won and i was like sort of happy but it was a feeling of sort of like unexpected yes i was like the moment should have felt like you know build 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 and like boom and i've done it And like, here I am. I finally, I've tried four times to win this title. I haven't done it. And now I have done it and I'm here. And it felt just sort of like, oh, the match ended. It felt like there should have been another two, three minutes to the match. And I don't know if it's one of those things, you know, we talked about on the show, the sort of ring of honor principle of like, you missed the really ideal time to do this which I don't know when that was, but just sort of at the end, like someone who I love Mizuki. I think she's really great. I mean, I really like Yuka too, but like, I was like, wow, I feel like I should be slightly more excited for this. And I am just sort of like, Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it's, it, it was not the level of excitement I was expecting. And it's, And I don't know if it is just that it's too late or if it's more... I don't know if it was the right time. Because, like, Yuka's been on a great run. I don't know if she should have lost here. But it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but now you, you know, everyone who's, you know, she is on a great... I think she's having great matches. But, you know, everyone was always saying, oh, you know, they know, they, you know, Tokyo Joshi, they know, they know. And it's like, Maybe the time was before, but you didn't do it before. So now you have to do it. Yeah. And now it's actually a bad time because Yuka is doing so well. But it's like you painted yourself in that corner by not having her win before. It it was very much a case of you didn't have to book this match here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this was the right match to book. The fact that Mizuki didn't have the title, I think the company maybe waited to put this match on because they wanted it to be, you know, because we had talked about a number of months ago, putting this on the one four show 
and having her win there and like kick it off. But I think they wanted it in a bigger venue. But then you sort of look at it and I know that Corican is not at full, you know, capacity or whatever, but essentially you ran this match on top and you drew like a pretty solid Corican number of 1500 people. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, great. And, you know, I don't know what happens. We've now have three new title holders. It's possible they go off and they, you know, they're going to have a number of other big shows um, this year, which they announced on this show. And, you know, maybe we're like, oh, it's great. And Mizuki starts having matches and the matches are really good, which I'm sure they will be. Um, and, you know, we forget about this, but it was just a thing. And I'm talking about all this as if I was like, the match was two stars. I hated it, but I was like three and a half, (laughs) you know, I thought it was a solid match, but there was just so much that was like, just sort of weird vibes to me. And we, I was sort of like, huh, that I was almost like distracted the whole time thinking like, what, what is that? You know, what's this, what's this? And then it sort of ended and I was like, okay, it was a good, but I at no point was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really getting into it. Um, so yeah, just sort of a, a strange end to the show, which I think sort of gave the whole show. You know, I remember watching watching through finishing the Aja Kong Yuki Arai match and being like, okay, there hasn't really been anything that's blown me away at this point, but these top three matches should be really good. And, you know, if the top three matches had all been like four and a quarter to me, I would have been like, this is a great show because the undercard was solid. You know, I liked the a number of matches, the Hyper Masao match, the Neo Bashikigun match. I liked the Mocha Ryumizunami match, but it's like, then the top of the card is a sort of strange main event, a tag title match that I also couldn't really get into and one really good match, but it's like, that's the only match that I really got into on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I expect better of big Tokyo Joshi shows than this. It, it, it was still good, but not as good as it could have been. It feels like they have every, every one of their big shows. I feel like I've ended it being like, Oh, you know, I thought the last big show was good, but this one might've been even better. Like, wow, I can't believe it. And this is the first one that I can remember when I was like, Nope, this one is no. Like, this mm-hmm. is not better than the last, you know, Russell Princess, for example. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd totally agree with that. So, that was Tokyo Joshi's Grand Princess 23. What else has been happening in the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling? Stardom having a pretty quiet last two weeks. They did have a Corican Hall show on March 10th. Rena won the Future of Stardom number one contender match over Hina and Miyu Amasaki. On the same show, Amisore defeated Lady C to retain the Future of Stardom title. And in the main event, Nanai Takahashi and Yu defeated Natsukatora and Ruaka to retain the Goddesses of Stardom title. Seedling had a show just a few days ago, Arisa Nakajima defending her Beyond the Sea title against Ayame Sasamura and Riku Kaiju defending the Princess of Pro Wrestling title against Misa Kagura. 
Oz had a show on March 12th, Ryo Mizunami and Sonoko Kado defeating Chihiro Hashimoto and Yu to win the tag titles, the first of many tag titles in the last two weeks in Joshi. Itsuki Aoki also defeated Riko Kaiju to become the number one contender for the Oz Open Weight title. As we talked about a little earlier, Tokyo Joshi actually did have a show on March 6th that saw the debut of Shino Suzuki and Toga there on that show. In Sendai Girls, Maya Yukihi and Sayori Ano became the number one contenders for the tag titles by beating Miyuki Takase and Mika Wada. However, they lost that tag team title challenge to Team 200 Kilogram the team of Chihiro Hashimoto and you. Ice Ribbon had a big Korokin Hall show, one of their limited Korokin Hall shows for the year. Hamika Hoshi and Makoto defeating Hikaru Shida and Ibuki Hoshi to win the tag titles, and Totoro Satsuki defeating Sayori Ono to win the Ice Infinity title. Also in Ice Ribbon news, Naoi Shikawa announced that she is going to be leaving the promotion at the end of the month. Uh, Some controversy there as she made some comments in her departure about some higher ups in the company. And Asai is going on loan for three to six months to Actress Girl. So Ice Ribbon continues to absolutely shed wrestlers at at an alarming rate. We haven't talked much about Ice Ribbon this year because it seems like a promotion, sadly, on the downswing, but we will see what happens there. And I rarely, in in all honesty, I rarely see those shows turn up anymore. (laughs) They don't really have that many, you know, they cut back on the number of Corkin Hall shows. They run a number of shows um, in their dojo that they put on YouTube, which I've actually started watching and I enjoy those shows. They're pretty simple. You know, they usually only have a handful of matches and they're usually only about an hour and a half long. Uh, Very easy to sort of throw on, you know, sometimes I fast forward through some of the exits and entrances, but you know, they have some solid, you know, the problem is people keep leaving. They have some solid talent, you know, Sayori, Sayori, no was very good. You know, they had Shida, Ibuki Hoshi, I've really always liked. They have a number of people, but, you know, they keep losing everyone. First of all, they're not going to have anyone left. But it just seems like it just seems like a promotion heading the wrong way, which is a bummer, I know, to us, because yeah, we really like them and wish they were doing better. Yeah. In Diana, Kaho Kobayashi and Kaori Yoniyama defeated the luminous duo of Miyuki Takase and Haruka Umasaki to win the tag titles there. In Wave, Ikudo Hidaka and Itsuki Aoki defeated Galaxy Punch, Saki, and Hikari Shimizu, longtime tag champions there to win the tag titles, and Hikaru Shida defeated Iger to retain the Regina DeWave title. Kelly, what has been happening in the world of Choco Pro? 
Uh, Chaco Pro celebrated their 300th show with uh, two days of shows. Uh, so Chaco Pro 300, day one, the highlights of that one were uh, Tehanma defeating Sayako Obahiro in a pretty good match that started slow, but like turned into a strike battle that was kind of just a battle of respect between these two. And I ended up liking that one a lot. Uh, And then in the main event of that show, the Asia Dream tag titles were on the line with Chris Brooks and Masahiro Takanashi successfully defending the titles against Chie Koshikawa and Sayaka. Uh, I originally, when I started writing my notes on this match, it, I just put down like, Oh, this match picked up down the stretch. And then what I thought was the closing stretch, there was still like two thirds of the match left to go. And they just went nuts for those last two thirds. It felt like a Choco Pro of old match. It was very good. It felt it felt like the first year of that stuff. Uh, Chie and Sayaka, and particularly Sayaka, had great showings here, standing up to the stronger bullies that are CDK. Uh, Chris Brooks is just so good at being a shithead heel. Just fantastic in that role, and the crowd was super hot for this match. I mean, obviously it's not a big venue, but the crowd was going nuts for stuff. It was awesome. Uh, I went four and a quarter on that one. Definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, Day two, I didn't think was as good. Uh, The only really match of note that was on that one was Mochi Natsume defeating Mei Saruga. A really good back and forth match with a cool finish. Uh, But yeah, uh, happy 300 to Chaco Pro. Uh, and then some other stuff. Choco Pro adjacent. Uh, there was a Baka Gaijin and Friends uh, 3 show that was headlined by Chris Brooks defeating Maya Yukihi in a quite frankly incredible match in this this bar on these tiny mats. Uh, Taylor, you saw this one, didn't you? Yeah, we both saw it. And I think we both went the same, right? You went yeah. four and a half? Yes. Yes, I did as well. Yeah, uh, just awesome awesome match they they decided decided to go out there and just have like a high caliber super worker main event in this bar and it was fucking awesome i can't recommend this match enough uh on their website they are website on their youtube they uh have the full show up but they also clipped this match out in its own video file so if this is all you want to see you can just go there i think it's only like 15 minutes but goddamn, is it good. Uh, highly recommended. I also went four and a half stars on a match from the Prominence show on the 18th, where Masashi Takeda beat Suzu Suzuki in her continuing uh, deathmatch trial series. I thought this was a very good follow-up to their match from last year. Uh, the, and it, it was a different match. It was cool. It, it really felt like they built on the story of last year where Takeda was kind of just this unstoppable ser- like killer, like a Jason or a, a Michael Myers type, where it was like his victory was inevitable and he was kind of just toying with Suzu the whole time. Whereas this time, Suzu's grown a lot in the past year and she got in a ton of offense on this one. And there was a couple times where I thought she had the match locked up. Uh, so that, that was, it was cool. It was, it was really nice to see her kind of be able to get in that offense on Takeda after he had just destroyed her in the previous match. Uh, Really good. A lot of near falls, a lot of great action. 
probably the best Suzu match that she's had in prominence in a while. Uh, definitely go check this one out. It just got uploaded to YouTube. Uh, like I said, I went four and a half stars on this one as well. So a lot, a lot of good stuff this past uh, couple of weeks. Good stuff the past two weeks. And what's coming up in the next two weeks? Stardom. A lot of shows here on March 25th. New Blood Premium. Getting that premium blood. Oh, great. And on this show... <laughs> Han and, and Hina versus Saeeda and Momokogo versus Rina and Ruaka. Oh, that's that premium match right there. <laughs> that's what they're talking about. <laughs> the next match, Waka Sukiyama and Tom Nakano will take on Nanai Takahashi and Kairi in a match where if Waka loses, she will not only leave Cosmic Angel, she will leave stardom completely. Kelly, I always ask you, this might be the last time I ever ask you, does Waka win? No. <laughs> There's not a chance she wins here and beats either Takahashi or Kyrie. All right, what happens if they go to a draw? Is she safe? Um, No, I think she has to win. Oh, shit. No, I she's think, gone. I, I think they mentioned that because I think the whole thing is she needs to win the match. They're not. She's not gonna pin either of these two. You don't think. You don't think she's gonna pin Nanai. She's gonna go and then knock her out. I don't know. I uh, (laughs) just hits her in the head with a fucking hammer or something. Maybe. Maybe she turns heel and she freaking goes nuts on everyone. You know, Tom is kind of gone heel in this Julia feud. She's very much the heel who does not realize she's the heel, it feels like. So, hell, maybe Waka will go down that road, too. Well, we will have to see. Also on the show, two of the new rookies debuting. Sakura Ishiguro will take on Julia in a singles match. Hanako and Lady C will take on Micah and Himika. The third rookie match was replaced because... Um, of injury. We'll talk about that in a second. Miyu Amasaki will take on Shuri. And then in the semifinals of the New Blood Tag Title Tournament, Mai Sakurai and Chen Yoda will face off against Starlight Kid and Karma. While on the other side, Mirai and Tomoka Inaba will face Amisore and Nanami. Then there will also be the Tag Finals on the same show. Kelly, who do you think emerges as the first ever inaugural New Blood Tag Team Champions? It's got to be my Sakurai and award winner, Chan Yoda. Oh, see, I don't know that I, I was, I was going to say, I think it's going to be Mirai and Tomoka Inaba. I mean, yeah, realistically, that's who it's going to be. <laughs> but you but... just want it to be. Yeah, I think I think Rossi is going to say, you know what? I told those sponsors to go pound sand. I'm pushing this girl to the moon. And then the replacement for the third rookie match will be a mysterious singles match between super strong stardom Big Machine and sexy Dynamite Princess. Okay, so... 
So that's who is who is who is this going to be? Is this Satnam Singh versus who? Well, I am thrown off. I was thrown off by the word dynamite in the yeah. name of the princess. But I'm like, would they do that? I don't think they would. Got to be Hoshi Tango. Satnam Singh versus Hoshi Tango coming to you. New Blood Premium. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about premium. Yep. So Get them we, them premium man honkers <laughs> slapping against each other. Let's go. The very next day, Hoshi Tango will not be there. It will be the Cinderella oh. tournament. Man, he'd and fill out a dress great. Let me tell you, this show has a lot of matches. Ready? Here sure we go. Does. Utami versus Nanai, Micah versus Momo Watanabe, Julia versus Mai Sakurai, Azumi versus Hazuki, Mariah May versus Rina, Shiri versus Tomoka Inaba, Momo Kogo versus Saki Kashima, Saya Kamatani versus Mayu Iwatani, Lady C versus X, Starlight Kid versus Haruka Umasaki, Ami Sore versus Yuna Mizumori, Tom Nakano versus Himika, Natsuka Tora versus Raka, Mirai versus Hanan, Saya Ida versus Miyu Amasaki, Natsupoi versus Mina Shirakawa, Koguma versus Tekla, and Hina versus Double X. Whew. All right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, who do you think's winning this tournament? Um, I'm going to. I'm going to go double X. Oh, double X, you coward. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Dark Horse, and I'm going to say Mariah May is winning the tournament. You know what? Fuck it. Why not? I mean, they seem to really like her. Yeah. There's she some is... cool matches in this first round. My hot take is the match is either one that I'm abs- I have absolutely no interest in watching, or it's a match that I think is really cool and very good. Yeah, like Azumi like, versus Hazuki, hell yeah. Yeah, it's like oh, here, like Shuri versus Tomoka Inaba, that should be very good. Yeah, am I interested? Utami in, versus Nane, yeah. <laughs> am I interested in Momo Kogo versus Saki Kashima? Not certainly not. <laughs> Am I interested in Natsuko Tora versus Ruaka? No. Nope. But you know what? That's a cool match if you like either of those people. Yeah. Starlight Kid, Haruka, Lace. Who knows who X will be or Double X? Maybe it's Karma. <laughs> Maybe it's Karma. Um, also, so this is um, 18 matches. Because there are thirty six, there are thirty six participants. I should also say that uh, the winner of Mirai and Hanan, and the winner of um, what it, what the hell am I looking at here? Oh, I had it. Oh, the winner of Mariah versus Rena will have one less match because, of course, thirty two is the even number for doing okay. this. One and less match for Mariah May to lose then. That's right. Um, so this uh, may be a lengthy show. Now, I know these matches are really short, but there's 18 of them. Yeah. Like, if each match takes, and I'm talking like entrances, um, stuff like that, if they take five minutes each, if each match with 
entrances, introductions, leaving the ring, and wrestling the match. If each match was only five minutes, this is an hour and a half long show. <laughs> I mean, that sounds great. Yes, but that requires each match in ring time to be about 45 seconds. Yeah, let's do that. I'm into that. Um, let's do that show. That sounds fun. Anyway, if you watch these 18 matches and you think, boy, I wish I could have seen more than 18 matches, I have good news for you. On April 1st and 2nd will be the second round, third round, and quarterfinals of the Cinderella Tournament. Um, The April 1st show will be the second round, which will be nine matches. And the third round will be, third round and quarterfinals will be however many, I can't do math. Um, Anyway, it won't be 18 matches again. Um, And that's what's happening in stardom. Um, What else is happening? Tokyo Joshi obviously going to be part of the WrestleMania weekend. Tokyo Joshi live in Los Angeles. Want a preview of that show? Well, here's yeah. a great idea. I'll be previewing it in the big annual Voices of Wrestling WrestleMania preview audio, which will be coming out very soon. I'll be reviewing it or previewing it with Rich Krejci. Um, I also believe I will be doing a written preview for the show. So keep your eyes peeled for those two things. And give those a listen. Usually when I do those big WrestleMania preview audios, I pick show. I only pick the scuzziest indies with the weirdest people on them. And I'm legitimately excited to actually do a show that I am looking forward to. Wow. And Kelly just gets to go kick rocks. Yeah. And if you want to hear Kelly's voice, um, tweet at him. Yeah. Ask me from the preview. And I'll He'll be like, I don't fucking memos. know the card. Yeah. I don't have the card on my notes. There's no <laughs> notes to, there's no card right here. I can't give you any hot takes on this right now. I don't know. Like, what's the card? It's going to be Miyu Mashita versus Sting in the main event. That's my guess. Sting's yeah, going to win. So, such a good preview that he'll give you the wrong matches. Yeah. Um, but maybe then you'll make me look good. Yeah, I'm going to sneak start... onto the call. Yeah, I'm gonna catfish yeah. Rich into thinking that you're that I'm you, and he's gonna give me the link. <laughs> Just wait, I'm gonna change my name and my picture in the Slack to what you have. He'll never see it coming. Well, that's good because if people don't like the preview audio, I'll blame it on you. That's true. You hear that, Rich? I'm gonna catfish you. Anyway. Uh, what else is coming up? Ice Ribbon has a show on April 1st. Sayori Ano versus Ibuki Hoshi and Makoto and Hamako Hoshi will be making their first defense of their newly won tag titles against the Just Tap Out team of Misa Kagura and Yanagawa. So that those are two fun matches. And that is everything coming up in the next two weeks of joshi's a lot of stardom content so kelly and i will be deep into stardom life 
next time. Stardom World. We'll be deep into the Stardom World. That's true. (laughs) And that is all for this show. Kelly, I hand it over to you for the traditional um, end of show speech. So I'm I'm thinking about how I'm gonna do my own uh, Tokyo Joshi preview with Joe from Voices of Wrestling and how much everyone's going to hate it, including myself probably. But uh, yeah. Great. So so because he's for he that. said he's doing shows, so we're gonna we're gonna we'll, we'll put him to the test and be like, you gotta talk about Tokyo Joshi with me. I'm sure it will be audio that everyone will love to listen to. Everyone's gonna love it. I think we'll have a great time. Uh, but Kelly's uh, movie recommendation of the week. I watched uh, The Lake on Amazon. Uh, the Lake is a Taiwanese movie, I believe. Uh, it is a giant monster movie. And really the best thing about it is that it uses a practical effects giant monster that looks cool as hell. There is a lot of other stuff about this movie that is not very good the script isn't very good the acting's fine uh the ending of the movie doesn't make much sense but when they do the giant fucking monster that looks like the t-rex kind of stuff in the original jurassic park it's real cool (laughs) it's very cool effect on how they do that big ass giant monster in real life so i commend them on that that was awesome if you're a giant monster movie fan, it's worth checking out just for that. It was well worth the six ninety nine rental, I think it was. Well, that is Kelly's movie recommendation of the week. And that is all for us here at Jumping Bomb Audio. I almost said that's all for everyone here at Tokyo Joshi Pro. We don't work for the company. Um, but anyway... I- <laughs> I've been Rika Tatsumi. This is Maki Ito. You've been listening to the Jumping Bomb Tokyo Joshi Pro Show. Yes. Uh, But anyway, I have been Taylor for Kelly. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.